Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church Virtual Church. If you have your Bibles, please open up to Mark chapter 12. We'll be in verses 35 through 37 today. And as you're turning there, I just want to just to say a couple words. Uh, normally we have the announcements, and I thought I would just deal with, with the awkwardness of this. You know, I, I come down here on Thursdays, I record. Phil's awkward doing it. I, I have Nick and Ethan working the cameras behind me. Nick's always teasing me about my Bible. He says I have a big Baptist Bible. I uh, I was tempted to bring in a, a tiny, thin line Bible, but I'm not going to give in to that. Um, you know, we're all longing to resort, resume just normal lives and, and getting back. And I, I have no idea uh, what the status will be by the time Sunday comes and we're listening to this sermon, uh, worshiping together virtually at home. Um, Today, I, I heard as I was coming down here that our governor had said something along the lines of that we'll be in this status for potentially 30 to 60 days. Um, I, I know that we, we each have differing uh, you know, feelings about this. I, I personally am conflicted. I have my, uh, my background as a Navy SEAL, a patriot that was you know, spent half my life uh, you know, swearing that I would protect the Constitution and, and our, our rights that we have as Americans. On the other side of the coin, as a, as a Christian, um, where the Bible is telling me to, to yield to the authorities above me. And so we find ourselves in this, just this awkward place. And it's okay to just acknowledge that. Um, I don't know how long this is going to go on. But we trust that God's in control, and we're just grateful for those, um, the, the Fredericks family who are leading us in worship and for Cross Connection Church helping us through this. Uh, we normally have announcements, and we normally take an offering, and I'm not going to take an offering right now. Uh, I know at the end of the sermon they, they put all the information about how you can give. But I do just want to comment and say uh, thank you for your faithfulness in giving and worshiping through your, your contributions uh, when this all started, you know, church is so much about gathering and when we meet. And so the idea of not meeting, how would that affect everything? And so I just want to say thank you. I think we're like on week six or seven. Um, I've lost count of where we are. Um, but I do know that you all have been faithfully giving and we have continued to uh, be able to hold our, our budget and so I'm just deeply grateful for each one of you and, and continuing to come alongside of us and, and partnering with the ministry. So we are uh, deeply, deeply grateful. We do have some heavy lifting to do today, so let's pray, and then we'll get into the text. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that in the midst of difficult times, really all times, we can lean upon you. Father, we thank you for your comfort, for your leading, knowing that you are sovereign and in control. And so, Father, we open our, our Bibles today, and we're looking at only three verses from Mark. And we ask that your spirit would help us to understand, uh, Lord, what this passage means and, and how we are to apply it in our lives. And so we look to you, Lord, to lead us, to guide us. We ask that you would draw us close to you. Uh, through this time of worshiping you, through the studying of your word. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 12, verse 35. And Jesus began to say, as he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? David himself 
said in the Holy Spirit, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies beneath your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So in what sense is he his son? And the large crowd enjoyed listening to him. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We ask that you would help us uh, to work through these two questions that Jesus asks the scribes. May you be honored and glorified through this time. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's just take a second and remember where we are in the story. Uh, It's been a very long day. Jesus has been in the temple. He's uh, had a number of waves of attacks against him, people questioning who he was, uh, his authority, what did he think about uh, taxes, what did he think about the resurrection, and and just a, a number of things. Last week, the scribe approached him, and the scribe asked Jesus, what's, what's the most important commandment in the whole of the Bible? And so Jesus responds with, um, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit, with everything that you have. And the second one is, is like that, is to love your neighbors yourself. And the scribe basically looks at Jesus, and he says, that's, that's a really good answer, you're correct. And, and in their exchange... It seems to be that there's this, this mutual respect, and we, we end um, in verse 34. It said, when Jesus saw that he had answered, when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, "You are not far from the kingdom of God." And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. And so they're, they're, they're done asking Jesus questions. Every time they go to Jesus, he, he's able to, to respond intelligently, to respond in a way that sort of um, answers their question, makes them look a little bit foolish. Uh, he is in control. And so they're done asking questions. But he leaves this scribe, and it just, like, I wish I knew the outcome of this, this scribe's life. Mark leaves it open. We don't know if, if he actually made it into the kingdom of God. We do know that today, like in this, this, this passage and then next week's passage, this, we're still in the temple. Jesus is still teaching. And the scribe certainly has to be there. And so I, I wonder if through today's story that Jesus is trying to nudge, just to nudge this guy over the finish line to get him into the kingdom of God. We, we don't know. But Jesus today is going to ask them some questions. And in many respects, Jesus' question is very much a a theological riddle. Sort of he's going to ask him a question about something that they all agree upon. And then he's going to ask a follow-up question. And it's going to cause them to to really question their understanding of Scripture. I'm sure uh, you all, like me, have heard it said many times uh, that Jesus never claimed to be God. Um, that's just absolutely not true. Uh, today's passage very much is dealing with Jesus beginning to pull that thread concerning his deity. And, and he's going to pull the thread, and it's going to take him all the way to the cross. As I look at this passage and Jesus' teaching, uh, I think of the book, uh, I think it was McDowell that wrote the book, More Than a Carpenter. And in the book, he uses a line that's so well known that says Jesus can't be a good teacher. He, there's only three options. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. 
And so this is so true for this passage. Jesus can't begin to make these claims without falling into, into any one of these categories because ultimately he's making the case for his messiahship that he is indeed the Christ. So let's look at verse 35. And in verse 35, Jesus began, and Jesus began to say, as he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? And so here we are. We're in the temple. Jesus is teaching. He's now asking them questions. And the first question that he asked them is a simple question. It, he asked, how is it that the scribes say that Christ, that's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah, that the Christ is David's son. And so we know that the scribes are mentioned here. We know that the last person that Jesus interacted with was a scribe, was a scribe that Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And I can't help but to think Jesus is now continuing that conversation with him, sort of giving him some breadcrumbs, helping him along to cause him to think and to to consider uh, the scriptures and that, that his mind might be opened to what God has revealed so that he might actually become a part of the kingdom of God. Uh, we don't know if that's the case, but I can't help but to think it. And so in the Gospel of Mark, this idea of the son of David is only mentioned t- twice. It's, it's here, and we talked about it the last time we were able to, to gather corporately. Uh, it's a good trivia question. Can you remember where it came up? And the, this idea of the son of David came up at the end of Mark chapter 10 as Jesus was making his way to Jerusalem as he was approaching, I think going through Jericho, uh, there was a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. He's the only uh, person that was healed that is mentioned by name in, if my memory is right, the whole of the Gospels, for sure within the Gospel of Mark. And he hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. And so he begins to yell out, son of David. And Jesus turns to him. And through the whole story, uh, Jesus interacts with the man and the man's, uh, his vision is restored. It's, it's a beautiful story. But this blind man, he saw more clearly than those who are around Jesus. He identified him as the son of David, linking to the promise of, of the Davidic covenant, which is found back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17, if you want to study that on your own. Uh, the, the, the point is, um, this title is very Jewish. The, the son of of David refers to the Messiah. The Gospel of Matthew, um, he makes this huge case pointing out that Jesus indeed fits all of the prophecy and he shows that he authenticates that Jesus is indeed the son of David who is the Messiah. Um, and so this isn't, um, th- this isn't any new information. This isn't even any debatable information um, all of the Jewish people, all sides, everyone, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, um, the Sadducees, the Zealots, all of them, they understood that the son of David referred to the Messiah. But they understood it uh, in the sense of a nationalistic sort of leader, a human leader, 
the the idea of a messiah being um, somebody that would bring about spiritual redemption the idea of it being a lamb that was going to the slaughter the idea of the son of david also being the son of god was was unthinkable to them that's not where their minds were going and so jesus begins with this simple question aimed at the scribes and their teachings and they would all agree he says how is it that they say the Christ is David's son? And they would have had all of their reasoning going back, starting at the Davidic uh, covenant found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. They would have been able to reason through a number of Psalms explaining this promise that through David's lineage, one of his descendants would ultimately be the Messiah that would be this nationalistic leader, this king of Israel that would free them from uh, the slavery that they were under. And so he starts with this simple, simple question. There's no disagreement. There's no controversy at this point. And I love how Jesus teaches because he's going to take them to the text and he's going to point out some things to them that they might not have seen. And then he's going to ask them a really difficult question to force them to think through the question that he's answering. And so in verse 36, what we read here is David himself said in the Holy Spirit, uh, I think I want to stop right there. So so Jesus is about to enter uh, David into the conversation. He's going to take us to Psalm 110, which we will look at. So if you have your Bibles, be ready to turn over there. Um, And he's saying that when King David wrote Psalm 110, which they all agreed was a messianic psalm, uh, he said in the Holy Spirit, I'm wrestling with myself right now. You know, I I do this when I preach sometimes. How far do I want to go down this rabbit trail? Um, But but Jesus in verse 36, he says, David himself said in the Holy Spirit. He's, He's speaking of the inspiration of the scripture that, that what we have in our hands is the inspired word of God. Over in Second Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 1, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. Uh, excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. We read this. Peter says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And so Peter, he explains how the scripture came to us, uh, unlike the Muslim world, which um, it's not like God spoke the words in Arabic, and then there's just a, a translating or writing out exactly what God said. This is that, that God's spirit moved amongst the men who wrote the scriptures and through their own words, their own personalities, somehow the divine moves through them in their words to create his revealed word of God. And so Jesus, when he talks about David and what he wrote in Psalm 110, he's saying that when David spoke, he was speaking the very words of God, that the Holy Spirit moved him and was moving amongst his hands as he, as he wrote. I'm left-handed, so I, don't, I probably used his right hand, but there, you know, this is Gunnar having a conversation trying to prove that left-handedness is better than right-handedness. Um, but I'll move on. 
um, that David, as he penned Psalm 110, that he was actually writing the very words of God. And so he, what, he, what he quotes here is Psalm 110, verse 1, where he writes, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. And so let's go back to Psalm 110. It's right in the middle of the Bible. Um, it's weird, you know, I can, when we're, when we're live and we're in person, I can hear the pages of the, of the Bible turning. And I have no idea if you're actually turning the pages or if you're just sitting there drinking your coffee in your pajamas ready to just listen to what I'm about to say. But back in Psalm 110, what we read here is, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, in your holy array from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Now, the the seven verses, there's a a lot there. I'm not going to go through it. We went through it a number of years ago. Um, But what we have in this psalm, what this is, is, is before the introduction, it's a psalm of David. And David... Uh, was able to prophetically listen to a conversation that he wasn't happening. And so this is a conversation between the Father in heaven and the Son, the Messiah. And David somehow, like not somehow, through the Spirit of God, is able to eavesdrop on this conversation that takes place following the ascension of Christ. It's a, a, just a, a crazy picture. And so... When, so David's writing, and he's recording what he sees. And so when he says, the Lord, that's Yahweh, says to my Lord, that's Adonai, it's this picture. So what he's describing is he says, the Lord, the Father, God the Father, is speaking to the Lord Adonai, who he identifies as his own Lord. Okay? So... They understood this as that this was going to be a fulfillment of the Davidic covenant that through David one day this king would come that would fulfill the role of Messiah to lead the nation of of Israel into redemption. Um, They never understood it in a spiritual sense of, uh, of, of spiritual and individual salvation. Um, we can turn back to Mark if you even turned over to the Psalms. Um, in verse 37, Jesus continues this flow of thought. David himself, so this Jesus is speaking, G, David himself calls him uh, 
that's um, the Messiah, Adonai, the second one. David himself calls him the Lord. So in what sense is he his son? And so they always understood the Messiah to be the son of David, but they never understood the, the Messiah to be the son of God. And so he's like, look at your Bibles, look at the text, look at what it says. If we understand this passage of Psalm 110 to be in reference to the Messiah, and we understand the Messiah to be of the lineage of the descendant of David, what does it mean? What is, what is he saying that he's his Lord? So question number two, what Jesus is asking is, how can David's descendant also be divine? No father is going to speak of his son, grandson, great, 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 however many lines down, is not going to refer to them in the sense of the divine. Uh, there might be loving uh, feelings and emotions towards those that will come after you, but not in the sense of, of, of divinity. And yet David in this psalm, there's the picture of him falling on his face, looking up to heaven, seeing the Father speaking to the Messiah, who David identifies the Messiah as his Lord. This is huge. And this is, this is the part that goes against everything that they understood. And so the question is, like, what's, what's he implying? Like, like this is, I've probably said a whole bunch of this leading up to this. I've not been sort of uh, secretive about what I've been saying. But Jesus is acknowledging the Davidic line, the son of David, which they all agreed with. And all they had to do was to prove that Jesus didn't have the Davidic line in him. At, at the time when the temple was still there, they had all of the records of all of the people. They, they would be able to trace clearly that Jesus, his bloodline goes up to uh, the King David. Um, so if they wanted to disprove who Jesus was, that would have been the first step. They couldn't, they couldn't do it. Matthew and Luke go through great pains, and they follow different routes, which I don't know that we have time to go into that discussion, but if you follow Mary's bloodline back, she'll go all the way to King David. If you follow Joseph's bloodline all the way back, it goes a different route, but it also, it also ends up at David. It's fascinating, though, because in uh, Joseph's side, there was a curse placed on an individual where God said, never again will this family be king of Israel. So you have a problem. But if you follow Mary's side, that's totally acceptable. So Jesus, his bloodlines follow the promise um, legally through adoption. So he doesn't carry Joseph's blood, but he carries all of the privileges being adopted by Joseph that take him back uh, the correct access to, to the throne of the kingdom of heaven. And then if you follow Mary, regally, he has the bloodline of, of the... So, he's, he, so he has both angles that you need to fulfill this promise. And so they couldn't trap him on this. And so their minds would have absolutely been blown. Um, if they thought through the text and thought through what Jesus is saying and, and thought through the implications, their, their minds would have been absolutely blown. We, we do see at the end of this that they enjoyed listening to him, and so they're fascinated by what he is saying. Um, 
there, there was an old preacher many, many years ago named Charles Simeon, and he used an illustration of a sundial. So he didn't use his iPhone or any sort of smartphone or technology. All they had was the, was the sundial. And he described many of the, the mysteries concerning the coming Messiah, sort of like a, how a sundial exists and is correct, but on a cloudy day it doesn't work. And so as the clouds part, it reveals where everything is set, and this, this mystery is uncovered. And so Jesus is slowly uncovering the mystery that existed in the Old Testament that through the New Testament, through the coming of the Messiah, these truths about the Messiah became clear. I, I think of um, one Pharisee, the Apostle Paul, who, who when he heard about Jesus, when he heard about what the, the claims of the church, he was a great persecutor, arresting Christians in, and throwing them into prison, killing them. And then Jesus appeared to him. And when Jesus appeared to him and he gave his life to Christ, his whole world was rocked. But it doesn't say that he, like, in one sense, he did immediately begin serving. But if you read in Galatians, the early part of Galatians, um, the early part of Galatians, it talks about Paul saying that after he got saved, there was a window of three years where he didn't go go to Jerusalem. And then later it says that he spent 14 years in Syria. And I imagine the Apostle Paul, who knew the whole of the Old Testament at a very high level, spending 14 years going through the whole of the Old Testament, rethinking what he understood about the Messiah at the end of that 14 years to to emerge as this leader of, of the early church, giving us most of the New Testament, especially the books related to the church and how we're to live and function. Um, this is huge. So the whole of, of Psalm 110, leading up, like from the first time it was penned all the way through to when Jesus spoke these words, it was always understood that that psalm was dealing with the promised Messiah. Then, after the crucifixion, which were days away, depending on where you read the story, some say this is Tuesday, some say it's Wednesday. It probably depends on which day you think Jesus got crucified is sort of where you land and what day you think this is, uh, whether you think he was crucified on Thursday or Friday. Um, but within days, Jesus is going to be crucified. He's going to raise from the dead, and then he's going to spend time on earth, and then he's going to ascend into heaven. And then then in Acts chapter 2, when the church uh, explodes with the coming of the Holy Spirit, um, this verse, Psalm 110, verse 1, is the most quoted psalm potentially. I haven't done the study. I'm just reading what other guys wrote. I don't have time to to scan for uh, direct quotes and allusions of this verse. But it is undisputably the most quoted psalm in the whole of the New Testament. It's the most quoted, I think, Old Testament passage in all of the New Testament, uh, either quoted or uh, alluded to. And so following the resurrection of Christ, as the church took this verse and ran with it, the the Jews began to change their interpretation of this verse. I want to read uh, one commentary to you from the Pillar Commentary. This is what it says concerning this verse. Not surprisingly, in the centuries after Jesus, rabbinic literature avoided correlating the son of David and Messiah. The fact that Psalm 110 was interpreted messianically 
in the first century AD and then non-Messianically for nearly two centuries and only afterward again Messianically. It is to be explained by the fact that the Jewish rabbis in their struggle with the emergent Christianity denied the Messianic associations of the son of David in hopes of undercutting proof texts for Jesus as the Christ. Only after AD 250, when the rift between the synagogue and the church was irreconcilable, did Jewish rabbis again entertain Messianic interpretations of Psalm 110. So they are all over the place how they try to interpret Psalm 110 to try to get out of all of the proof and evidence that Jesus fulfills exactly what is said there. It reminds me of Isaiah 53, that there's, they claim that there's no way the Messiah would come as the, surf, the suffering servant. Um, and through the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls that Isaiah 53 is sort of proven to be true, uh, it is overwhelming evidence concerning what the Old Testament said about this concerning Messiah. And this is what Jesus is doing. He is beginning to to probe their understanding of the Messiah, trying to take them a little bit closer to understanding that that the Messiah wasn't just the son of David, but that he was indeed the son of God. And we're told here in verse, at the end of verse 37, and a large crowd enjoyed listening to him. I can just see people there sort of with their minds blown going, I never saw it that way, but it's right there in the text. It's, it's right there that David, when he wrote this, he says, Yahweh, my Adonai, that my son, my descendant is actually my Lord. Going back to blind Bartimaeus, he saw so clearly who Jesus was. And I think that's why Jesus and records him by name. The only one to record him by name is that he understood that it wasn't just about uh, liberating Israel from Rome. It was about liberating humanity from sin. So Psalm 110 is the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. And so the big question is, is there anything that we can learn from any one of these quotes? And absolutely there is. I'd like to end today by taking some time to look at Acts chapter 2. So if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Remember, um, the Gospel of Mark is often, it's believed to be um, Peter's Gospel, that he used John Mark to pen it for him, and there was persecution and things were going on, and and Peter, who was certainly there at the temple with Jesus as he's challenging the leaders concerning um, this idea of Psalm 110. Um, in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to pick up at verse 22, um, and we'll go through to verse 38. But remember the, the church, Jesus had ascended into heaven. They're, they're gathered there. They're waiting. Um, they Jesus just kind of left him hanging. They, they didn't know what was coming next. And all of a sudden on that day, the Holy Spirit descended upon those that were waiting. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, they began speaking in these languages, glorifying God. It created this huge ruckus in town. And everybody's like, what's going on? Are these guys drunk? And Peter, who denies Jesus three times, suddenly the resurrection through the Spirit, gives them all of this courage and clarity. 
and he begins laying out to them the things that have happened in their midst. And so he's midway through his sermon, and in verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh will also live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul into Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make... Make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. I want to pause here. We're getting to the point that is most critical to to today's text. So when Jesus is at the Temple Mount, when he's telling them about the son of David, and then he says, how can the son of David also be his Lord? And then he quotes from Psalm 110, verse 1. Now, Peter is about to explain what Jesus was leading them to. What Jesus was explaining. Peter was there. Peter saw it. Peter now has a few days of information ahead of him leading to the cross, burial, resurrection of Christ, and then ascension. And so then Peter, who saw all of this, was an eyewitness to this, would give his life to this. He then looks at this crowd and he draws from the very same verse that Jesus was teaching the scribes and the crowds from. And then in verse 33, we're really getting to verse 34, but what he says in verse 33, Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured He has poured forth this, which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended to heaven, but he himself says, so he's saying it wasn't David, the Davidic covenant, it wasn't David who ascended into heaven, but that David, what he said in the spirit, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so he's saying that what David was pointing to 
was this Christ who would ascend into heaven. And he says, now Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. We're waiting for all of this prophecy to unfold. Verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. How if I get goosebumps just reading this? And we read in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Suddenly the light bulb came on. Suddenly all of these people that were there forever, all of Jesus' teaching, and they were, they were following him, but, but they were following him earnestly, but not in sync with Scripture. They were not yielded to what he was telling them. But suddenly, they get it. The light bulb goes on. And they're like, we blew it. We killed him. What do we do now? And then, Jesus, then Peter says, what you need to do is you need to repent. You need to get right with God. This, this was according to his plan. This was for the forgiveness of sins so that we might have relationship with God. This, this whole idea, son of David, son of God, bleeds into Paul's writing. You don't have to, to turn there. You can just listen to me. Uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, this is at the very end of Paul's life. 2 Timothy very much is Paul's uh, last will and testament. He is executed after this letter. It's his very last letter. He is writing to young Timothy. And there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, when he writes to Timothy, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Everything goes back to the Davidic covenant. In Romans chapter 1, the very introduction to how Paul introduces himself to this church that he doesn't know, he writes in verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, then breaking down the gospel of God, he says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David, son of David, according to the flesh. So genetically, humanly speaking, David, fall, I mean, Jesus follows all the way back to the line of David. Verse 4, who was declared not only the son of David, but the son of God. Verse 4, with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. This, this, what Jesus is saying on the Temple, temple Mount is, is, is radical. You might have heard it said, like I said in the beginning, that Jesus never claimed to be God. That's so false. Jesus today in these three verses is absolutely making the claim that he is the Messiah. And not only is he the Messiah from a humanistic perspective, but divinely he is the Son of God. They were amazed by this. This is what they would then condemn him for. This is the very blasphemy that he spoke to the high priest when he claimed everything. When he stands before Pilate and he says, you said it, it's as you say. These are the things that Jesus acknowledged. This is powerful. There's, um, 
There's only three categories. Jesus is an absolute liar. He's making this all stuff up. He's a lunatic. He's a madman. He doesn't realize what he's saying. Or he is absolutely Lord. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. I know Easter is over, but as Christians, we celebrate the risen Christ every single day. My prayer is that the Spirit of God, as you read through the Scripture, as you hear about the Gospel, that Jesus loves you and that he died for you, that that sundial of your heart, that God would open up the clouds and through his Spirit allow you to see what Christianity is all about. It's about this gift that he loves you. He died for you. It's received by grace alone. You simply believe and you're saved. But he's either Lord over all or he's not Lord at all. And so my prayer is that each of us, if you don't know Christ as Savior, that you would turn your life to him. If you have received Christ as your Savior, that you would truly yield your life to him. Allow him to lead you, to guide you, to to be Lord of your life over all things. I don't know when we'll meet in person next, but I long for that day, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the teaching of Christ that gently and patiently shows the people in the temple that Mark records how he Uh, points into the text, begins to show them how the scriptures of old point to the Messiah and how he fulfills it. Lord, we pray that you would grow our faith. Lord, help us to have assurance of who Jesus is and that we would have assurance that his work on the cross was sufficient for us. Father, we do know that you're greater than all of our fears, all of our worries, whether it's the actual coronavirus or the economy or just simply life, Lord, I pray that your spirit would breathe into each one that's listening to this, that you would fill us each with hope. Um, Lord, that you would help us not to be discouraged. And Lord, we know that the, the future and today is in your hands. And so we look to you, we praise you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' good name. Amen.